it's finally dawning on the American church that prayer is not a sideline. It is actually a ministry, and it undergirds all that really transpires within the kingdom of God. Ministry is about relationship with God. Hello and welcome to First Person and a conversation with Kay Horner, a woman who you can tell already is fully committed to a life of prayer. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and you'll meet Kay in just a moment. Thanks for taking a few minutes to listen to this program. Every week we try to introduce you to someone who is making a difference for the kingdom of God. Some of the names you may recognize and some you may not, but all are being used of God in some special way. These conversations are made possible by the Far East Broadcasting Company, which works in nearly 50 countries of the world to make God's love known through radio and other media. Take a few moments to learn more about FEBC by visiting our website, firstpersoninterview.com. We're also found at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Kay Horner is the executive director of Awakening America Alliance and the national coordinator for Cry Out America 9-11 Prayer Initiative. As you'll learn, Kay also has a book called The Christmas Dance. But as we began our conversation, I asked her to first talk about when she began to follow Jesus Christ. Wayne, growing up in a Christian home, I was very blessed that from an early age, my mom read to us Bible stories. As a matter of fact, I have the book that's worn out and taped together that I read to my children and have even used to read to my granddaughter. And she would have us sit down at night, and she would read Bible stories to us. We were one of those families that attended church. If the church doors were open, we were there. And uh, in my early years, we moved a little bit away from the church, but it didn't matter. I can remember falling asleep in the back seat of the car on the way home from revival or district meetings. And so we were just continually in that. But not only did they take us to church and read stories to us, They really modeled a Christian life with their service and their giving and caring for people. So I uh, started that that journey at about eight years old when I actually asked Christ to come into my heart and into my life. And I can remember growing up in the, the tradition, church tradition that I grew up in, that we would go to the altar and, and the children would just linger in the altar and pray with and for one another. And so I guess it probably was a little bit of wanting to be accepted at that time mm-hmm. and and be embraced in the community uh, of faith that I was in. But it had to have made a difference because here many, many years later, I'm still serving the Lord. Yeah. I was about the same age when I came to Christ. As I look back on it, I, you know, I don't know how much I really understood. And yet the Holy Spirit was drawing me at the same time. So how do you explain that? I think it is just the work of the Holy Spirit. When God sees that there's a purpose and a destiny for your life, that He calls and chooses you and sets you apart. Jeremiah talked about how he was set apart from his mother's womb. And I know that in in my personal journey, there were times that Satan would have liked to have robbed me of my personal destiny, even as an adolescent, uh, in those challenging times when you're uh, dealing with uh, hormonal changes in your body, you're dealing with trying to with identity and trying to identify who you really are. There were some times that the enemy tried to rob me of my identity, some adversity that came into my life, some seeds that were sown of of lust and 
and manipulation and intimidation, and I won't go into all of the details of how that happened, some abuse situations. But when I got into my high school years, uh, there was a godly Sunday school teacher and youth leader. They happened to have been married. And I remember one Sunday afternoon, although they were consistently spending time with us and teaching us, and we had wonderful worship times at our church and our youth group meetings, but one Sunday afternoon, they invited us over to their home for a Sunday afternoon lunch, and we all gathered around the piano that afternoon and began singing. And I must preface this with the fact that I was the only one in the group that never got a solo, okay? <laughs> they, they would let me do maybe a recitation or a testimony or an introduction to a song. So it wasn't my singing ability, but it was that time together in worship and in spending time and relationship with these uh, godly leaders that my life began to take a turn. And I recognized that some of the things I had been pursuing in my troubled tween years, those years between childhood and teenage life, they really began to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, and God began to cleanse and anoint me. And even people in my local congregation began to acknowledge that there was something different. There was a calling on my life. And at that time, they tried to call me to preach, but of course, I didn't, I didn't think that was for me, you know. So it was, it was in those teenage years with a godly uh, Sunday school teacher and youth leader pouring into our lives, taking us church events, allowing us opportunity to sing and testify and share personal stories in, in the church setting and not putting us in back in a room somewhere, you know, and separating us apart mm -hmm. from the, the actual church body, uh, right. that God really began to call and change my life. One of my favorite thoughts is that we don't get the life we deserve, we get the life that God designs, and uh, you have experienced that. Oh, that is a great thought. It was definitely not something I deserved because, in reality, I didn't come from a um, a family of preachers or teachers. My mom taught children's ministry, that kind of thing. But um, even even my older brothers at the time were not serving the Lord. But God, it was like He put His finger on my life and said, "Okay, I have a purpose for you." And I would have never known at 16, 17 years old, or even 18 when I decided to attend a Christian college, that many years later, God would put me in a national ministry to help lead uh, something like the Awakening America Alliance or the Crowd America Prayer Initiative across the nation. But it was in those times of seeking after Him and spending time worshiping and praising and adoring Him and then coming into a Christian college environment where I began to get a stronger foundation in the eternal truth of God's Word, that I recognized God had something more for my life. Well, a lot happened in between. We're going to have to skip an awful lot here, Kay, but what is your calling today? You mentioned prayer and prayer leadership. Talk about the Alliance. After I married, and I married a Christian deacon, I call him, because he has such a heart to serve and uh, such a heart for the Lord himself and so many giftings. And we began to have children. I got uh, invited to participate in regional ladies' retreats. And during those times, I began to teach and speak in, in a regional and national setting. And uh, a dear friend of mine, I, she's like a spiritual mom, Elva Howard, hmm. taught me so much about prayer. She's, 
She's 94 years old now. I saw her at church yesterday, <laughs> and she uh, saw something in my life and gave me an opportunity that I knew when I said yes to that, that I was opening the door to a broader ministry. And I learned a lot at, at her feet, you might say, of praying the scripture, praying with faith, praying with determination. And then um, I went into pregnancy care center ministry. And from that, after 13 years of serving young women and men in, in challenging crisis situations, God just miraculously picked me up and put me in a ministerial role under Billy Wilson, um, who happened to be our pastor at the time. And he also was a man of prayer. So I kind of had two spiritual mentors in my life that taught me so much about prayer and about persistence in prayer. And we would gather at this ministry, the Awakening America Alliance, that I actually helped Dr. Wilson uh, in the founding days of this. And we would pray every week. We would gather with intercessors and we would pray. And then God birthed a national prayer ministry, Cry Out America, which occurs every year on 9-11 as people around the nation gather in their churches or in a public venue. It really began with gathering at the county courthouse steps at noon on 9-11, which was a critical wake-up day, wake-up call for our nation. And they would cry out for mercy at the place of justice. And I began to get involved with that prayer ministry and that prayer movement, and it just kind of grew from that. And in 2012, I was called to actually lead that ministry in the nation and help to coordinate our state and county coordinators in prayer ministry. And although I don't consider myself a real intercessor, as people I know are true intercessors, they could spend all day in prayer, and it, you know, it would just be normal for them. God called me to help mobilize and engage intercessors in a prayer movement across the nation. And uh, that's been going on now for eight years. This year, we had thousands of people gathering in prayer because it was on a, a Sunday. There was a huge call to more than 168,000 ministers to dedicate and commit either one hour or 11 minutes on 9-11 in their Sunday morning worship time to cry out to God for a Christ awakening in the nation of America. So I think I just, I got thrust into it, you might say by happenstance, but really it was divine providence that the Lord uh, wanted me to be in this role because it was definitely not something I would have pursued on my own. Our guest is Kay Horner. Coming up, we'll talk about her book, The Christmas Dance. Stay with us on First Person. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. The interview we're listening to reminds me of the remarkable way that God uses those who follow Christ to do great things for Him. At FEBC, we broadcast in nearly 50 countries of the world. Our staff always speaking in the local language, sharing the gospel, and teaching the word to millions every day. If you'd like to know more about FEBC, please click on the FEBC banner at firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Kay Horner. Kay is the Executive Director of Awakening America Alliance and National Coordinator for the Cry Out America 9-11 Prayer Initiative. Kay, uh, there's something else I want to talk to you about related to Christmas, but on this theme of prayer, 
I'm so grateful for what you're doing and how it crosses denominational lines and you bring prayer networks together. It's amazing what God is doing. This is such a critical time for our nation. We all know that. We all know that things aren't right. Um, even non-believers know things aren't right, and this call to prayer is very significant. You know, Wayne, I think it's it's finally dawning on the American church that prayer is not a sideline. It is actually a ministry, and it undergirds all that really transpires within in, within the kingdom of God. And when you look at the histories of Great Awakenings, they really all had this united, prevailing prayer movement that was behind that. And what that really brings us to the recognition is that ministry is about relationship with God and relationship with one another. And when we get caught up in the church growth, we get caught up even in the Great Commission at the risk of loving God and loving others first, then we miss out on what God really intended for us because He created us for relationship with Him. Mm -hmm. So how can we support what you're doing with the Alliance? One thing is you can get involved in a prayer movement at your local church. What we are encouraging is something known as the National Prayer Accord, and we do this with multiple ministries. It's not just about the Awakening America Alliance. We join with the National Day of Prayer. We're uniting our efforts with the Mission America Coalition, with the Intercessors for America, the African Prayer Leaders Network. We're calling people to this consistent rhythm that individually, every day, I pray and ask God to bring awakening and revival to my nation. Of course, first to my heart and my home and my family, but then to our nation. And then we encourage small groups. If you get together in a connect group or a life group, whatever you might call it at your church, that at least once a week or once a month, you invite those people in your cell group to also join with you in targeting specific prayer to ask God to bring a Christ awakening and a revival and to touch the spheres of our society. Some people call them the seven mountains of culture. And then we encourage churches at least quarterly to call their congregation to prayer. And then together, together with other churches in their community, there's great opportunities, National Day of Prayer, Proud America, see you at the poll. There are so many opportunities that churches can gather together across the generational, the denominational, the cultural barriers that we often erect and really exhibit to the world this unified prevailing prayer that demonstrates that we love one another and we love God and He sent His Son to be the Savior. That's great, and and you're right. You cannot look at uh, great awakenings in the past without seeing the foundation of prayer, and we want to be faithful in our day, don't we? Kay, we're so grateful. We'll, we'll put additional information on our website for listeners who want to follow up on that. I do want to change gears, though, entirely here. Well, maybe not entirely, because you've written a wonderful little book called The Christmas Dance, and since we're entering into the Christmas season now, indeed, we're well into the Christmas season, let's talk about The Christmas Dance. So can I take that uh, that turn with you here? <laughs> Sure. I think I tried to set you up just a little bit, Wayne, when I was talking about the relationality of God and how that through creation, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit invited us into this communion and conversation into the heavenly. That's an ongoing conversation. I mean, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were complete within themselves, and yet 
when they created us, they invited us to join in that community, in that conversation. And that's what prayer is. It's a conversation with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So this is very unique, what God has laid in your heart to put together in the Christmas dance. How did this come about? Well, it actually was birthed in my heart one cold, rainy December afternoon, and I was preparing to speak at a Christmas brunch for my local church. And during the time that I was preparing this, I was enrolled in a a class at a local university, and we had been discussing this whole concept of what one early theologian called the dance, this interpersonal communion with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, how they are like dance partners who are individuals but dance in unity and that we, when we come into this giving and and taking and sharing, it's kind of a rotation. It's a going around. And they, uh, early theologian, compared this divine interplay to a dance. And so I began to think about the fact that there were so many people throughout Scripture who actually had been involved in this dance that led to that miraculous Christmas dance. And so I started to uh, to just write, and it became like an imaginative narrative, how that Abraham stepped out onto the floor by faith, not knowing where he was going, but assured who was leading, and how Sarah, who eventually joined in the fun and laughter, when she learned to dance in time to Creator's melody. We're very accustomed at this time of year to focus on the uh, the characters in the Christmas story, but you you expand on that. As you said, you go back to Abraham, for instance, and yet you do include... Uh, People like Mary, I was just uh, looking at, on uh, the page here, one of the pages that talks about Mary, and you say, how blessed is this one who believed every word that God said would come true. Mary is suddenly bursting with God news, dancing the song of her Savior. And, of course, she goes into that song, the Magnificat, which is magnificent in, uh, in Scripture. So you, you, uh, you, you kind of relive the Christmas story through all these characters of the Bible. Exactly. Uh, when you when you go back into the Old Testament, you find Ruth, who changed from the mourner's dirge to the wedding waltz, and who would have ever thought that Ruth would play a part in the Christmas dance? But when you change over to the book of Matthew, you find her listed in the lineage of Christ. And, of course, there's that intertestamental period when the music became very silent mm-hmm. and almost non-existent. Mm-hmm where God's people had not heard from him, really, in in 400 years, there had been this silence. And uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias kind of step out onto the dance floor as they're issued this invitation by Gabriel, and then he stops back by Nazareth on the way back to the heavenlies, and you think, well, as the writer said, can anything good come out of that little Galilean town? But he finds this daughter of the Lord who is so willing to say, be it unto me even though it was very frightening because no one had ever really danced this way before. He was asking her to give birth as a virgin and to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that would transcend anything that anyone in human life has ever experienced before or since. And, And she was willing to do that. And because of her willingness, of course, we have others in the New Testament who began to experience this encounter with Christ in a fresh and a new way. And um, I love the fact that when Christ ascended into the heavenlies, He didn't leave us without the song, (laughs) because we still have the Holy Spirit. And you see Peter and the disciples on the day of Pentecost 
as they are learning to dance and interact with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a fresh new way that brought 3,000 people into the church. So I think when we recognize that our appreciation for the interrelationality of the Father, Son, and Spirit with characters throughout Scripture and how He invites us to join in this communion and conversation, that our personal dance or our personal interaction with the Father and with the Son and Holy Spirit, that it invites others to see what our joy and our experience is all about and why should it not, especially at Christmas time? Yeah, I like the imagery of the dance used here uh, and the sweep of the whole story. Again, it's it's Christmas-based. It's, it's called the Christmas dance, but obviously it's the age-old story that continues, as a matter of fact, because the dance isn't over, is it? No, it's not. And it's not just something that occurs at Christmas time. And in the book, I issue an invitation that, of course, is really just an invitation that's issued by by the Holy Spirit who who initiates this conversation, that He invites us into this interpersonal relationship every day of the year. It doesn't have to just be in the holiday season that we remember Christ and that we remember Mary and her willingness to to sing His song and, and dance the dance with Him in a fresh and a new way, but every day of the year through prayer and relationship with one another, we engage in this ongoing communion. And it's a book of, of really meditations at Christmas time, or any time, as you say. Uh, it's very interactive, isn't it, Kay? It is. It actually has portions of the Scripture listed within the narrative. And uh, I have a friend, actually the editor of the book, who said, I love this. I'm going to use it as personal devotions mm-hmm. with my, or as family devotions with my children. Right. And so it can be taken as you can sit down and read it all at one time, or you can actually do it in short segments as like an Advent devotion leading up to Christmas, or you can take it and do it with your children and help introduce them to the different characters in Scripture, like Joshua and Caleb, who had a lot to learn about line dancing, but maybe it was all the other spies and it's their cute. So it's a chance to start telling your children stories of Scripture in a fresh way. Yeah. Kay, this dance began for you, as you said earlier, when you were eight years old. Any regrets about uh, the decisions you've made in life? Oh, no. I, I often think about the fact that there was a period of time when we really majored on people sharing their testimonies about being delivered from drugs or being delivered from a horrible lifestyle. And those testimonies are wonderful. But I am so thankful that I have a testimony that God has kept me through all of these years. And now as I'm reaching my mature years, I can look back and say, it's been worth it all that there is so much that I have benefited by in my personal walk with God and my relationship with others in the kingdom of God that has enriched my life, that I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. We often hear that from guests, and it's true. Following Christ is not always easy, but it is the most rewarding and meaningful life one could have, and one that will bear eternal dividends. Our guest, Kay Horner, the author of The Christmas Dance, and the executive director of Awakening America Alliance, a significant prayer movement. There's more about Kay at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. As always, special thanks to the Far East Broadcasting Company for making these weekly conversations possible. 
I recently had an opportunity to visit an FEBC radio station in a country that might surprise you to learn allows a Christian radio station, and it reminded me of how important this ministry is in proclaiming the gospel. Learn more when you click the FEBC banner at firstpersoninterview.com. Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.